<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Happy Friday. It is sunny out there. It's the mid-50s. It's the middle of February. It all feels wrong and yet so, so very right. I don't know. I have a spring in my step. Uh, Mara Carabello is here. Who cares about the groundhog? Right. And who's this voice we hear? It is the state auditor, frugal Mr. John Dougal. Thanks for being with us. Happy to join. All of a sudden, Greg is like, I have something more important than you guys today. And we're like, we don't need you. He threw it down. He was like, I am absolutely too important. I heard he was with the sheriffs. So he fought the law, but the law law won. won. Yes, they did. And we have a statewide elected official. So. I know. Mm-hmm. We trade it up. Thank you for your importance of versus, being here. Versus a wannabe. That's right. Right. That's right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just realized my belt came undone. I'm like so fat. I wow. thought that I was so excited. We, we need video on I this I know. Podcast. What is happening? We're working on that. That's going to come. But we never see this on the newscast. <laughs> I know. This is the best part about the podcast. If I don't tell, people won't know. But uh, happy Valentine's weekend. Um, anyone celebrating? Fi- Mara, you said you have big plans for the weekend. We have huge plans. Yeah. So we have a 14-year-old lab mix. And we have been assigned by the vet to get a first-of-the-day urine capture. How do you capture that? This is the thing I don't like. Picture yourself with the, a small tray, a small Tupperware that was given to you, a syringe, and a pill bottle with instructions. While you chase, Wait, the, while you chase the dog inst- around? So they hand this to us yesterday at the vet, and they're like, yeah, you just put the little tray down, and they go in it. And I'm like, mmm. That's Who said they're going to go in it, though? Because don't they have to walk around and think about where they're going to go? Yeah. And, then and my dog has performance anxiety, and there's no way <laughs> he's going to let me stand that close to him with a small tray waiting to delicately Are you gonna place it under there? him. you going to have Cheerios there? This it, none of this works. So yes, that's that's our that's our big weekend plan. Other than of course the Super Bowl, but you know that is romantic. It is. It's I exciting. <laughs> Do you have something bigger planned at your house, Mr. Dougal? Nothing that exciting. Yeah. I hit the road tomorrow. My wife will be home, but I've got various political events. So I'll be doing breakfast in Midway. Nice. Lunch in Cedar City and dinner in Salt Lake. Wow. Ooh, you're going to be fed three meals, though, for free that might make oh, up no, no, for a no. portion of the I, gas money. I had oh, to no. pay. You're I had pay. to pay. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad You that think that parties help the candidates. No, the candidates fund the parties. Mm, that's good to know. And I don't have any big plans either. I know some people are super into Valentine's Day. I love Valentine's Day because it's when I met my husband, but I, I just so. don't really like to spend $4 million for mm-hmm. anything or be told I have to do anything. So. That's right. Yeah. And I'm kind of mad about it. I'll do what I want it. when I want. Yeah. yeah I, I, like, I mean, I don't hate it. I'm not a hater, but I'm not. I feel like I'm being forced into participating in something, and I don't like that feeling. I know. Well, I at least like it's it not Singles Awareness Day. Singles awareness for the three of us. Yes, yes. that's right. <laughs> I know. Day. I'll let my husband know he's free. But he's up skiing today. I don't know if your nice. uh, schools have this, but... Uh, mental Jordan, health day? I, yeah, saw, I saw the District, photos. Yes, has a mental health day. It used to be like if you needed help, you could come in and get it from teachers yeah. on Friday because we're in the middle of the pandemic and we don't do school. Now it's just a mental health day. So they're skiing today and I'm a little jealous. And they ski? They don't snowboard? They're skiing? Uh, they're skiing. My son wants to snowboard, but we're, we're skiers because we're old school and we're like, that's going to slow us down when he wants to snowboard. <laughs> so he has one. We haven't let him break it out yet, though. There you go. Yeah. We're not that hip. Okay, we got to get to the business of the day. And um, the clean slate law is is going into effect now. It was passed way back in 2019, delayed by the pandemic. 
Uh, this is a big deal for a lot of people in the state. I've read estimates of maybe even 200,000 people would benefit from this. So this is someone who has maybe a misdemeanor offense, um, class B or class C, an infraction. They've given it, I think, five to seven years where they haven't recommitted a crime, and it will be wiped clean. Uh, is this a good idea, Mara? Is this going to help people get back, or are we getting rid of things that we shouldn't forget this about? This is a great idea. Utah should be, a, I think, applauded for this. I think we're the second state to do it. I think Pennsylvania has done this. Um, it feels like there's a, really some thoughtful consideration. There might be some changes as we apply it. I think that's always a good thing with any well-intended bill. Let's review it. But five to seven years that you've proven that you are above the law. And, you know, I think that the American judicial system says pay your due, correct yourself, and we'll give you a chance to move on. I mean, America is a second chance nation. And so I think this really opens it up to people who have done what they needed, had paid their debt, if you will. And that, um, and, and again, we should keep in mind that it's low level offenses, right? I mean, there's a whole category of offenses for in which it doesn't cover. And those are the more serious ones. Yes. If you rape someone, if mm-hmm. you assault someone, if you um, have a DUI, if you kill someone, we're not going to erase it. We're not going to just yeah. erase it. So this takes care of low level offenses, often drug offenses, and that disproportionately harm lower socioeconomic and minority communities, and to not have this dog you and drag you down from either school acceptance or job acceptance and just your ability to move on. So I'm a fan of this. And it seems to me that we want people to go get jobs, because if not, if they can't get jobs and they can't get the right housing, they end up on the state's dime or the federal, uh, federal, I I guess, assistance. So I would think that this helps everyone just move on. I think I think this is a huge step. I mean, Representative Hutchings, when he passed this, he talked about, you know, we punish you, we beat you with a stick, and we're going to beat you the rest of your life. And that's mm-hmm. not who we are. Yeah. And so the key thing here, we've had this expungement always exist, but this is automatic. You don't have to apply for it. You don't have to jump through hoops. If you stay clean for this period of time, whether it's five years for a class C misdemeanor or seven years for a class A, it automatically gets expunged. You don't have to do anything special. And this is huge, I think, from the court's perspective to implement the software, to identify these folks and automatically clear it out of the record. And I think the problem with being able to expunge it, I think everything's always, it sounds easy in theory, but to actually do it and make sure you're doing it the right way and getting the right help and calling the right people, it's not always as easy uh, done as said. So I'm happy for so many people that this will be uh, something on the table for them. So good news there. Um, This is interesting this week. Uh, the digital you're, not, you're not planning to use this at some point in the future? I hope not to use it, but <laughs> I do think that we all mess up at some point. I hope to not mess up to that extent because then I won't have a job or anything else either. But isn't it beautiful that you can have another chance and it doesn't have to stick with you forever? I love that. Oh, fantastic. And yeah. Automatic, get rid of the bureaucracy. Yeah, right. good stuff there. Uh, there was some interesting finding going on um, at the state capitol this week over the digital driver's license which was in committee. I do understand that there's already a pilot project, so there must be some among us who are there's, already trying There's it. about 3,000. Are you one of them? I am not. Mm. I'm in various other pilot programs, but not this one. Not. <laughs> are you piloting part of this, Mara? I'm not. No. I'm not piloting this. So the interesting thing is this is kind of coming up at an interesting time where we're talking about the idea of vaccine passports and all kinds of things that people were worried about after two years of kind of government control in the pandemic. And so there were a lot of people up there who were talking about this is a slippery slope. It could be the mark of the beast. It's a vaccination passport. And uh, anyhow, I think people got really riled up over it. And I can understand why they're riled up over it. But there's also good things that could come with it, too. Is it a good year 
Mara, to give this a rest, let it wait, see how things go? Or is it time to grab onto the future and get rid of the old card? So it's hearkening to a set of bills that we keep talking about more and more, which is online privacy and where and and just standards and I mean it, it shows up when we talk about social media in some way so like how far out there is our information whose information is it when the government holds it and I think those concerns are really legit I think that the testimony at committee got a little off the rails and I, a, a little? And, and <laughs> I know when you hear do you either hear the people saying you know look and at the helicopters exactly <laughs> and so I always get confused when looking at these issues because I first and foremost want to say Crazy's crazy. So I don't know that we should perpetuate these conversations about extreme what ifs because lawmaking doesn't happen in the land of extreme what ifs. Um, if, if you look at the safeguards on this, so what's interesting is if you ask me if I would do this, I would still probably say, I don't know. But if you look at the safeguards, in fact, the retailer or business that you're interacting with gets less data than just showing your physical card. And they don't need to see my state weight, has which a, is not right, really my no, weight. Nobody anyways. needs to I've see made that right. up. And like, it, the state data is the same. Like the state already has that data for you. So if you if you didn't like that, you shouldn't have applied for your current driver's license. And your interaction with whatever you're using your driver's license from ideally actually has more protected because of the QR code because you're not showing all your data. So I think the reality is it appears to be some systems in place. But what this debate is telling us is that as a society, we're still not comfortable yet with these safeguards and protections. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, is I think, is there value, John? I feel weird calling you John. Should I call you Mr. Auditor, State <laughs> Auditor? What's like your just, official Just call title? me Frugal. Frugal Doogle. Um, just, I'm just only John. I, I know that people I like to say, you know, it's just, you know, the facts, you know, we know what the government wants from us, but we know that the, sometimes that there's an open door where once we get the driver's license or what you get something else, maybe they want one more question or two more questions or three. Is or, it a slipper? Or a hundred. Or a hundred, which we're, we're going to talk about. about in a minute. So is there real concern for the possibility that this could be a slippery slope where they're like, yeah, you know, now that we need um, your COVID vaccines, let's slap that onto the digital driver's license and it becomes a vaccine passport. Is there reason for people to be worried that, you know, maybe this is a slippery slope to, you know, carrying around all this information you don't want people to have? Well, I think one of the first things to note is this is voluntary opt in. Mm -hmm. Nobody's required to participate in this. It's if you want to opt in, this is a choice. And as Mara mentioned, if you're to go to a bar, they don't need to know your name. They need to know your age. So all they need to see is a photo and your age, nothing more. You don't have to disclose that. If you're going off for something else to the grocery store, they may need to know your name and address, but they don't need to know anything else. If you're talking with law enforcement, well, they may need to see the whole driver's license. So the fact that you can control your information better has some good aspects here. I know some people will say it's also convenient to have it. We're still going to have a paper license, if you mm -hmm. will, for uh, probably decades to come. But there's certain aspects of this that are good. Now, if it were mandated and required mm -hmm. and everyone had to have this, then it becomes much more that slippery slope. Yeah. But when it's voluntary right. and Mark can say, hey, I'm going to opt in and I can say, I don't want to, 
well, then it leaves the choice in each of our hands. And there are some interesting um, safety measures on there. I noticed that there's a QR code. So every time you open it up, it's a new QR card. So it's not like somebody could use it and then pass it off to someone else. It's a new one that comes up every time. And I think if you use some of the Ticketmaster things, I don't know if Ticketmaster, but some of the ticket places you do that, you can't just like open it up, screen grab it, and then give it to someone else so they have the ticket. It's every time you open the app, it gives you a new QR code. So I think that's helpful. And I think also, too, um, if you've been in the situation I have, I had my home burglarized once and I left my wallet home for safety. That was a bad idea because then they had my wallet. And there's still someone out there I know who has my driver's license doing who knows what with it. So uh, I would assume that if your phone's still and you can shut it all down and then just get it replaced without someone actually having your physical card in hand someplace. So that part sounds good to me. So we'll see how that goes. But now, right my, now one, my one nod to the black helicopter is I still just keep waiting. We were going someplace. We were on vacation. We were all digital, right? And mm-hmm. we had all of our information, tickets, access, everything. We get up to the gate and this large facility we were going into didn't have enough Wi-Fi and no one could pull down any of their okay, information. Okay, that's a problem. So I still have this moment where like I don't know North Korea is going to cut our access to the internet and none of us can even find our way to the car anymore so like I I, I still think this notion of securing the digital universe has not necessarily worked out well except for that large swath of broadband that goes to it is 911 and let me point out one other concern and and let's go back to the fundamental thing a driver's license was just about your ability to drive. Mm-hmm. And Correct. it turned into a universal ID. That's right. And then yeah. it has turned into an ID approved by the federal government so you can fly on a plane and you had to turn in your social security card, birth certificate, other things like that. So fundamentally the problem is we already have the driver's license doing too much stuff. We've turned in too much information to the government. That's where the fundamental problem is, not with this kind of app. Yeah, and every time you go anywhere, they want the doctor's office. I mean, everyone wants all that information. So it's interesting how it's changed over time. Uh, Some more good news or bad news, depending on who you talk to. Uh, The state uh, tax cut passed. Yay! Uh, I know. The governor (laughs) says he'll sign it. I posted it on my Facebook page saying, you know, what are you going to do with your $100? Because on average, most families will be receiving $100 with um, the money they save with the cut from 4.95% to 4.85% on their income tax. If you don't want it, I mean, I can put it to you. I know. I'm thinking 10 10 Chipotle burritos, (laughs) a gas tank, and maybe a fizz drink and a pack of gum. But a lot of people are like, I hate this. You know, screw them. They could keep their money. And I'm like, okay, everyone wants to keep their money. So are they mad that there's not more? Or did they want it going towards schools or something else? It was hard to say. But the question is, when you let the government keep it, they're not always going to guarantee it's going to go where you want. So, John, are we um, happy with where this is going and how it's working? Because there's other uh, pieces of it, too. There's the earned income tax credit and also a cut to the Social Security tax. So I'll just note, when folks talk about the Huntsman tax cuts of 2007, I was the House sponsor of that. So the largest tax cut in Utah history. And so, yes, I I have a history of bringing tax cut bills when I was in the legislature, and so I think this is good. Uh, I look at this, you got $163 million from a rate cut going from 4.95 to 4.85%. You've got a non-refundable EITC. Now, I think this is a good way to balance it. They avoided the problems with a refundable EITC, which is not a transparent welfare program. It's difficult to audit, and it's prone to fraud. So they avoided those problems and targeted it. I think that was good. Um, The Social Security cuts seem to be much more targeted as well. So they try to make sure there's uh, tax breaks for those at the low end, the middle end of the spectrum, and the high end of the income spectrum. I think all of that is good. And when you look at a really strong economy with booming revenues, uh, you know, when you had 100% of the Democrats agree, you know, 100% in the Senate voted yes on this, 
you know, that indicates there's broad-based support. Yeah. Not just in the public, but in the legislature as well. Maybe I'm crazy, but I like to keep my money, even if it's an extra $5 or $100. Where are you sitting on this one, Mara? So, I mean, I would have, I, I still am one who would have preferred that they directed at food. But knowing that that wasn't an option for the majority, uh, what I loved about this process is um, in the House, they amended it and added things, and the Senate under, understood it. The two bodies talked well to each other, and they did genuinely respond to a lot of different points of view on tax and, and how to, as John said well, how to give everybody a little something, if you will, from a tax policy perspective. And I thought that that should be something that Utah's in a time where we continually talk about um, divisiveness. Like, it really was thoughtfully considered, and I think that the earned income tax credit, um, the directed tax credits to those who need it the most are certainly where I felt like that there was a win, and as John said, the Democrats in the Senate um, <clears throat> universally voted for it. So, pretty well done. I would still be a fan of more directed, because I think Utah... As a general, we've been blessed to do well. And at times when I think you're doing well, the best work that the government can do is shore up um, the segments that aren't doing well, which is it, it, which is why I see the non-refundable being important in that part of that process. So too. you still want to see the food tax on the table? I mean, I think that would have been a more effective way to help actual Utahns put more in their pockets. And it would it would naturally proportion it to those who needed it the most. I mean, that would still be where I would go. But I don't want to be a downer about it because I thought that this was a artfully collected bill that did a lot to, um, again, really scratch the itch of several philosophies on tax credit. And that's really a hard thing to craft. And so this was a really well-done bill, and I think everyone comes out ahead. That's right. I know. I was thinking about the food tax when I was shopping. I went grocery shopping before work today and avocados at Costco, which I think for like the last couple of years have been like $4 for your six where eight something. And right. I was like, oh right. my gosh, everything costs more. Or you get the And it's about bag. the size of a little navel it's, orange. Yes. I mean, it's not these yeah. big avocados. In. I know. My skinny pop was like a third full, <laughs> but I think three times as much these days. So, all right. Well, we're happy to keep money wherever we can. So uh, interesting conversation. We've been teasing towards changes. So if you've been listening for a while, I did a story um, in the fall last year about birth certificates in Utah. Not just a story, a hard-hitting report. A hard-hitting report, thank you. Uh, A mom here, a Utah mom, Ivy Estabrook, uh, brought this to our attention, that uh, when you go have a baby at the hospital, that oftentimes, depending on what hospital you're at, you have eight hours to answer 100 questions. When it's 100 questions, I mean 100 questions. Some are multi-part questions. It's a lot of questions. You've just brought this new life into the world. You're emotional, and all of a sudden, the government's like, fill this stuff out, or Sometimes else. you're in the process. You're in the middle of labor, and they're saying, fill and it out fill now. This out. I know. <laughs> With which, the nurse standing in the door. Now, now, now. Which is insane, and I don't ever remember having to do that. I had I my first um, child living in Montana. My second, um, he was born three months early, and... I was a hot mess then. I don't remember much of anything, but I don't remember 100 questions. So it seems to me like these have been getting added on and added on. When we went to the state health department and addressed these concerns, it was the first time in my career, and I've been doing this for a lot of years, that a state agency was like, you're right, we're wrong, we're going to fix this, it's going to happen in the next four weeks, we're going to make sure we get rid of these questions that don't belong there, we're going to create a website where people can recall their information, that will happen by December 1st. It is now uh, past December 1st, and it hasn't happened, but I do know... It's our, almost Valentine's it Day. It is almost <laughs> Valentine's Day. Um, 
our state auditor has been working behind the scenes. There is also um, our state auditor who's sitting in the room with us. And uh, we've also had some work from the legislative side to um, shake the health department tree. And it seems like they need some shaking. Like they may not have been very honest with me when they said, we're going to get this done right away. Either that or, or maybe a little too optimistic, optimistic. how bureaucratic mm-hmm. it was to make the changes. And and you're alluding to Representative Perucci. Yes. And uh, she actually recently had a baby and went through this experience herself. And this is why it's so personal from her perspective. Absolutely. So um, she is the one who has this bill going. Right now, I think it's in a, in a committee right now. I forgot to check before we came out here on the podcast. But it's, it's drafted. Uh, I don't think it's had a committee hearing yet. So yeah. it's working its way to that part of the process. And, and the, we're four weeks in. we got three weeks left to go. And the interesting part is uh, you've been working behind the scenes. This is sort of a bill where it's not going as a surprise to the Department of Health. They've been negotiating behind the scenes. You've been negotiating. I know at some point I talked to you and you said, okay, we've got it down to 64 questions. And I'm like, well, from 100, it's less than 100, but it's not awesome. Uh, The new bill um, that Candace Perucci has out uh, gets it down to, I believe, 27 questions. Is it still valid for the state to require 27 questions uh, to give you a birth certificate, or are they still holding that hostage? Because we all know when we're talking about driver's license, you can't live your life without a birth certificate. It's something you need. Yeah. Uh, From my perspective, I'm a data minimalist, and so as I look at the list, I think we should be somewhere down around 10-ish questions, and those include address, city, state, zip as separate questions, if you will, as part of that 10. Name, parents, name, that kind of stuff. So to me, I would get down to what is the bare minimum for a birth certificate. Now, if you want to ask these other things for research purposes, then let people opt in and and share that information if they choose. But right now, I would suggest that they have been over-collecting for years with a heavy hand over folks that didn't understand what was truly required and what was wanted and with a deadline like you described of hey you got to fill it out now you you know technically you had i think was 10 days to fill it out but it was acting like you had to fill it out immediately and the nurses who were dumped on to deal with this from the government these nurses felt like okay if i don't take care of it now there's going to be all sorts of other problems somebody's going to leave they don't file the paperwork they're then going to complain they didn't get a birth certificate so i understand the complexities but from my perspective, we need to move to the, just the bare minimum from my perspective. But that is a policy call for the legislature. And that's why Representative Perucci is running a bill, because they're the ones that get to decide what is the amount that's required and what is optional so and I'm, how is that handled. I'm going to add another player to who gets to decide things. So I really am pleased that Representative Perucci is carrying this bill. I think she's doing it in earnest and she's a skilled lawmaker. Um, and I think if, for those of you who are, are checking on the bill, this is this will be substituted. We know it will. There's conversations going on. And the one substitution that I hope and, dare I say, expect to see demand, is, no less. is demand, <laughs> demand from my very cheap seat, very <laughs> high, um, is this notion of it's not just the state and the Department of Health's prerogative. There's also federal, very strong and stringent directives from the federal government on particularly and specifically healthcare information. So regardless of what our Department of Health wants, there is a challenge to Utah potentially if we add anything else than what the feds want. And really the federal requirement is pretty prescriptive and it's just basic information. It's it's what John outlined as his preference. I mean, it's really almost just basic contact information. And so if we continue to justify X, Y, and Z, frankly, whatever X, Y, and Z is, and it's not 
optional and it's not clearly registered as optional and that the woman feels like she can make that choice, I would argue that we're in violation of federal law. And so I think it, it, we can't just be looking and asking the Department of Health what works for them or what works for their grant program, but rather Utah, particularly in healthcare, needs to and, and is required by law to point to the federal government on this issue. And there's a bright line on what we can ask for women. Absolutely. And I think there's value in a lot of these questions that I know is probably going to great research. Uh, fetal and maternal medicine is important. Like I mentioned, I had a son that was born three months early, and I know a lot of research goes into trying to keep babies like that alive and mm-hmm. healthy. So I get that the information is going to a good place, but it's not good if people are forced to give that information. And interestingly enough, I think it's been a multi-million dollar boon for the health department because they have, they can sell it as when they when people want this information as we have nearly 100 percent participation which when you give people no choice they participate but I think it's been an easy way for them to um, collect fees and give this to people for research federal grants and stuff like that there's a lot of federal grants that come in this where you get this interesting Mm -hmm. dynamic federal government to a certain says says only this information and that these grants basically incentivize over collecting from my perspective of this kind of information. That's right. So and if a woman wants yeah. to, great. I think we all agree that information for research purposes and understanding um, women's issues and childbirth issues, it's critical. It's not a criticism of perhaps the nature, although the hundred questions had a lot of malarkey left over from like some guy who hadn't been there for a while. But um, I think the point is that this has to remain a woman's choice. Well, and then you need, also need to know where is the data going? I may be comfortable sure. sharing it, let's say, with the Department of Health, but I didn't necessarily know they shared it with these others. But I don't think you can split the baby on that, John. I think if you include it, the the, D- the Department of Health can't guarantee. So therefore, well, that's it why would they be disingenuous. Be, that's why they to have to be they clear. Yeah. This is, they have to be clear about who they're sharing it to. Yeah. So that's a question. The bill is written. Is it going to allow women who've already given up this information um, to go back and say, I'd like it back, or is the cat out of the bag and we can't stick it back in? That is a major sticking point. That is uh, uh, something the health department is saying. They can't pull back some of the information they've already shared, and it may undermine existing research. And so, you know, I, I personally disagree with that, and that's, but that's part of the negotiations and discussion. Interesting. Okay, we're going to be watching that in the weeks ahead. Uh, getting out of the legislative uh, session for a minute here, um, interesting, we're getting closer and closer to the idea that we've got a midterm election coming up. And the District 4 race is heating up this week uh, with Darlene McDonald, um, who's kind of an activist in the community, saying that she, I don't know that she's officially filed, but saying that she's going to run against Burgess Owens in the congressional race. Uh, Mara, is she a formidable force against Burgess? So I think she's got a strong community voice. I don't know how well she'll match up statistically um, or fundraising. It's her first try. and But I think she feels compelled. I think it was interesting she did sort of say I'm compelled because there isn't anyone challenging him and he deserves to be challenged I do think every race that has a good strong challenger um, is better for everyone in the community regardless of how who you end up voting for so I will say she is um, a gifted speaker I think she will bring up issues her issues were really non-traditional Democratic issues to start with. And we don't know much about her, right? Like you said, she hasn't formally filed yet, I don't think. She's more just announced on social media, but like 
initially on a short list was the supply chain. I mean, you don't usually hear that as 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 the starting place. So I think she'll bring up some interesting issues. Um, I, I am not ruling out that Burgess Owens will not also get a challenge from within his party. But I think so she she's going to challenge him, I, I believe, as a Democrat. And it'll be nice to have a strong voice, someone who can articulate the issues. And she definitely has the right perspective, which is she seems to not be there for a special interest. She doesn't seem to be there for a specific thing. She's there to raise concerns that she thinks are relevant to the community. And she doesn't seem to be tethered to too many um, big institutions. And I think that makes for a really interesting candidate. I think we might be hearing more about CRT and some other issues too. It's, yeah. I mean, in Utah, um, we're working on getting more diverse candidates, whether it's women in some of our races. In this race, uh, we would have two black candidates, which is a big deal for Utah. So it'll be interesting to see where the conversation goes. Uh, do you see any real competition here or... I'm going to say no. I, I hadn't even heard the name until you yeah, sent me a text with the name and brought it up. Uh, clearly, it looks like she's aligned with the Democrats. It's on the Democratic website. But I'm going to say I don't know how many people know of her, especially in the 4th Congressional District. Sure. You know, southwest part of Salt Lake County, wrapping down into uh, through Utah County into San Pete or that that area. Yeah. And the, I, I the just, new district. I mean, should we say too, right? Yeah, I mean, through the new yeah. district. But, but still, I mean, I think that's a fairly yeah. conservative district. I think it's going to be an uphill slog for a Democrat, regardless of who they are. And uh, speaking of races, Senator Mike Lee's race, we know was going to be crowded, but um, this who? week, who? Uh, Senator, have you heard of him, Mike Lee? <laughs> uh, anyhow, uh, he Sorry, has... Sorry, I helped recruit him. You did. I've, I've heard that before. So Ali Isom uh, promised two terms and Donna elected and uh, Becky Edwards, who's also um, already in the race in fundraising, saying that she's made that same promise. Ali Isom said, you know, you've done a great job, Senator, come home. Is that a fair call, or can you say that and change your mind, and he can run again if he wants? So one of the key things is what has he really said in the past in regards to term limits and stuff like that. But all new candidates typically will throw out term limits, especially when it comes to federal issues. I support term limits, but I recognize the challenges at the federal level is, one, you need to stay connected with your constituency, with Utahns in this case, at the same time balancing the dynamics of seniority in the U.S. Senate. And how do you be effective and have enough seniority to influence it and also simultaneously stay connected with, with your voters? And that is the key challenge when folks go back to D.C. and we're concerned with people becoming a creature of D.C. But for challengers right now to say, well, you did two terms, come home, that's a, that's a pretty common narrative. And, and Utahns, to a certain extent, believe in term limits, but to a certain extent, they don't care about it, especially when it comes to some of those races. Yeah, I'm per- personally divided over it, too, because you say, you know, you just want people, citizens, to go serve, who understand life, and go back to their business. But at the same time, you look at the Senator Hatches of the world, and the reason why he had the pull that he had and the ability in his early years, and I, I would say his medium years, where he was really negotiating across the table with Democrats, that happened because he stayed there longer than two terms. So kind of interesting to see how that yeah, works. Yeah, there's a case to be made, I think, for particularly small states, small Western states who don't have large contingencies that mm-hmm. make them relevant in the body, that multiple terms. I will say uh, this is an absolute win for the challenger this week because we're talking about it. And so good for them for getting, I mean, what the challenger's role is, is to make the news and to drive the news. And I do think that Mike Lee has a history of throwing down on an issue 
And to his credit, he is good at getting attention on issues and later changing his mind, right? We hated Trump. Now we love Trump. Mm-hmm. We were for term limits. He he waxes and wanes on um, taxes, often depending on what he's thinking about. So I think drawing attention to that as a count challenger is a smart move. I mean, it's, it's your bag of tricks that you have to play. John's right in that we don't ultimately vote, I don't think, on whether Mike Lee told us he was going to stay for two terms and didn't turn on. We have not. short memories with yeah, that. Yeah, we have short memories. Um, Utah State. It's really how effective they are and how we judge their effectiveness. Right. But again, the challenger wins when they are when they get the news cycle. And so good for this challenger for getting the news cycle and bringing up what she sees are sort of inconsistencies of Mike Lee, which is an issue that could get some traction. And what we've seen from polling is that the... Um, the Republicans are not going to probably jump, but they don't love the Senator Lee's support is not the deepest support we've seen. Both Senator Romney and Lee have interesting dynamics dynamics yeah. going on there. One thing I think is great interesting, understatements. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Evan McMullen um, is a force to be reckoned with in the finances. So he out fundraised. I think that uh, Senator Lee still has more money, but in this last um, cycle, he out fundraised him a lot of money. Is this coming from Democrats? Who's who's giving them the money? Because somebody's got deep pockets in funding the third-party so candidates. Before I give a shout-out to Evan McMullen's fundraising, I'm going to give a shout-out to the two women in this race, Allie Isom and Becky Edwards. Yes. They have less money, but they have more individual donors. So if you are a Republican who's looking at the field, um, I, I should say, or an independent, I guess, if you're going for Evan McMullen, but if you're looking at a, a Republican for whom you think it's bad that um, special interest participates and that there's this political machine, the two women are garnering more individual um dollars and actually it's probably Don- they're, donors but they're, and it's why more. their bank accounts are lower yeah. we're being honest because because individuals don't have the capacity that they do so i want to just give a shout out as you're looking at money matters and money wins elections but you should also note that if you're looking for people who are attracting individuals it's the two women in the race evan mcmullen has a huge round as he should because he had a pretty good apparatus from his former run for president it's failed bit. yeah and he um, he is he's got a really diverse background, which is what he's selling, right? When you run as an independent, you better go get a little bit from everybody. That's right. So it's interesting to see. And the two women in the race, I think, remind me a lot of the kind of support, grassroots support that uh, Governor Cox was getting when he was getting, you know, a lot of those small fundraising dollars that made up his. So it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. It takes a lot of money to get signatures. So if they're going the signature route to get on the ballot, then... Um, they're going to need it. They're going to need the well, dollars to make by, that happen. By it takes a lot. You need twenty eight thousand signatures, which is my understanding right now about two hundred thousand dollars, maybe more. Right, which is a lot of money. It's a high bar, which we saw in the gubernatorial it's, race too. It's, it's more a than lot the hundred dollars you got in your tax cut. <laughs> it's a lot more. Hey, uh, before we go, I know this is a very important weekend as none of us are really celebrating Valentine's Day, but it's also the Super Bowl. Do you have a pick? Do you watch Mister Dougal? Well, the last time I watched, uh, Steve Young was playing for the Niners. So mm, that kind of tells you. You're like my dad. Yeah, but I'm, you know, Steve, I was living in the Bay Area at the time, and he's a wonderful guy. And so it was great to see him. But yeah, no, I, I don't watch. So you're going to be there for Eminem at halftime? Uh, usually I'll watch him on YouTube long after the fact. Okay. How about you, Mara? So most Utahns I've noticed are picking the Rams because of their relationship for the University of Utah. But mm. I am going to center. Which, which relationship is that? I mean, there are three players who play for the Rams who used to play for the Utes, and the two of them have great personal stories. Did I mention Steve Young used yeah. to play for the Niners? Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I and so people should map to that. But I'm mapping, of course, to my NFL first love, which is the Broncos. So Von Miller was traded this last year. It's a travesty. He plays for the Rams, but I'm giving that up to go 
go for the AFC because the mm. Broncos are in the AFC. So I'm sticking with my division and going with the Bengals. Boom. My eyes mostly glazed over. I when know you, you said, said all I know. Of that. I know. I know. I'm like a nobody. Heidi, you never want to talk about the sports. I know. Well, the I'm sports in the sports. Heidi's into basketball. No, my son. Were you plays, watching rugby last I, night? I'm a soccer. It was mom. on channel two point two. I did not watch mom. that. I'm a soccer mom, so I'm into that. And, but. I don't know why, because my brother played um, at the University of Utah football. My dad was uh, super into the Niners back in the day, but I never got into it. And so, and I married my husband for two very distinct reasons, aside from the fact that he was really cute and I liked him, but he really likes fruits and vegetables and doesn't like football. He only turns it on if he wants a nap because it's nice background it noise. Is. <laughs> it's lulling. <laughs> yes. So I'm not super into football, but I do feel like I always have to watch it so that I can come back to work and have uh, meaningful conversations about, you know, the halftime show and the commercial. But this won't be part of your Valentine's celebration. No, no. We'll have it on in the background for a nice Sunday Well, the other nap. important note, I'm going with homemade chili verde and tamales. Just in case anybody wants to know the you menu. You make homemade tamales? Terrible. No, I should. I make chili verde. I can't make tamales. I can't do it. You're I, a tricky job. I'm not. Yeah, it's too hard. So I buy tamales, but I do make chili verde. Do you want to give us your tamale source or no? Because I know some people have like a secret source they get the good ones from. I, I, <laughs> I'm i not. It's from Denver. No. No. <laughs> no, I brought them back from Denver. That sounds like an I illegal trip. When you were watching, were you, I know, were you watching really the sketchy. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually. And I sound really sketchy about tamales what, right what now. What kind of fireworks? Mm. And did you get a lottery ticket while <laughs> you were there? fireworks. <laughs> and I was thinking that she was bringing back some Mary Jane for us. So, you know, we, we <laughs> Not we, medicinal? Yeah, if I, offer, medicinal. if I offer you a gummy. <laughs> know that there's problems in store. Well, thank you for being here on this spring-like uh, Friday. Maybe next Friday we'll have some snow and I'll be back in a grouchy mood. But we'll see. We all need water. Thanks for being here.